that my wife and I will be uh, in in uh, the great state of Hawaii. She's got me a little nervous, though. I told her, I said, babe, you got to get better. We're supposed to go to Hawaii. We're we're looking forward to that. And Brother Anderson is actually going to be with uh, this church that Sunday. And I appreciate that very, very much. And when they came in to help us out, and again, we appreciate that so very much. It's been a tremendous blessing. My mother-in-law is with my wife tonight and helping with kids. And she's helped with the house and all that good stuff. And so... Uh, thank them very, very much. But I told him, I said, I've got something to preach. But I said, with you being here, I'd really like for you to preach. And he's, you know, he's he's a little bit of a novice, I guess. But he's he's somewhat r- ready to fly by the seat of his pants and might have something he could preach to us tonight. Y'all think you'd enjoy hearing from Brother Anderson this evening? Make him welcome. Amen. Love your pastor and his wife and their swell kids. They're not swell. They're just swell. Uh, but um, we have a we have a great relationship, great time. Isn't it good to have a good relationship with your family and have them serving God and and uh, in the church? And I um, I've told people, man, you're talking about a blessed man, but you're. You're looking at a blessed man, three kids, and all of them living for God, and and um, in the work of the Lord in some measure of, of some way or another. But thank you so much for being good to our family, and your friendship goes beyond. You know, there are a lot of things uh, I have learned. I preached not too long, awfully long ago, and this is a bad thing about coming out and preaching because you think everything that you preached, you know, you need to tell them about, but... Um, I'll try not to do that tonight except to tell you that I preached about the parallel of the spirit and the, and the physical. And um, it, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting to see that because a lot of people, they want to spiritualize everything to the point where it's either a devil or, uh, you know, it's got some big spiritual connotation. And uh, matter of fact, I've even had people to tell me that I won't be there but my spirit will. And that scares me to death. I said, look, just don't, don't, uh uh-uh, no. If you ain't coming, don't send your spirit because we don't know how to deal with that. And, uh, I mean, I don't know how to deal with the devil, but I don't know how to deal with human spirit, you know what I'm saying. So I said, if you're going to send your spirit, you just go ahead and come with it because we, we're not sure where they'll sit. They might sit on somebody or something like that and, and uh, you know, th- all kinds of things. But the bottom line is we got to live our life in, in, a, in a natural world. And we won't ever get so spiritual that we don't have to do that. And so we need to learn how to take this thing over and apply it to um, the physical. In other words, whatever you come here tonight to do, it's not just going to happen in the spirit. And then you go home without it, hopefully. Whatever happens here tonight in the spirit is meant for that to be absorbed in your flesh and in your mind, and in your being, and in your activity. So it's great to see all of you. Appreciate um, uh, getting to see so many of you that we've known so long and and others that we have known for a, a while, a little while. And uh, appreciate you so very, very much. And I saw these girls over here going to college and getting smart and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, so that's, uh, that's great that you all are in church, I remember when brother, brother pastor and sister pastor were going to brother Pierce's church down in Conway, and they were UCA and um, getting the, getting their smarts. Praise God! I <laughs> I would like I will turn your attention tonight with stop messing around here and uh, and carry carry on in the word of the Lord. But the book of Genesis, chapter twenty four. Uh, verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty-four, verses ten through eleven, and um, you don't—if it's all right—you don't have to stand. We'll just talk about this, okay, a little bit, and kind of get in here. It may be a little bit, um, kind of informal, but I think sometimes you learn more just discussing scripture than you do sometimes just really, you know, laying it on the line, preaching and spitting, and all. <coughs> I do that sometimes too, but. And I've been known thinking that we're going to just kind of ease into something and then get carried away. And, and uh, 
So I preach, I teach, and then sometimes I treach. I have no idea what it'll be tonight. So uh, Genesis 24, verse number 10. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he, came, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening and even, even the time that women go out to draw water. You just kind of put that in the back of your mind. Let's back up now and kind of think a little bit about how we get to this scripture. Um, there are a lot of things that could be preached talking about Abraham, and everybody knows, per, well, maybe not everybody, but there are a lot of us that know in the Bible Belt about Abraham. He's the, known as the father of the faithful. And um, some of the things that I'm going to talk about, maybe it's good for me to just kind of go ahead and, and impress upon you. It is important tonight. The reason you are at sanctuary right now is because that there was a burden to in this city to establish a place and to to be a a uh, salvation sanctuary for people to come and for for this truth this gospel we now we're well aware that these four walls or even, yea, even this congregation of people is not the be-all, end-all of the body of Christ. So there's something that brings us together, though. Now, I will tell you that it's highly important, and, I, you know, anytime I get out of line here, Brother, brother Pastor, you just kind of yank on my coat, and um, I'll, I'll just act like I had a crick in my neck, and we'll, and we'll divert real quick-like. But... Um, but I, I would like to tell you tonight that um, it, is, it is highly important that we guard this truth and we hold this truth, this doctrine. And, and, and you know, there are, like we say, you know, there are churches, there, there are 160-something churches of the United Pentecostal Church in the Arkansas District. And, and so there, there, there are churches in a lot of cities across and even places that are not considered cities that preach repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and so on like that. But there also are cultures of those churches. You understand where I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying? So there are cultures of churches that they may be preaching the same thing, but they, you know, I, I was talking to Brother Gaddy whenever, after I, was, after I had uh, finished up my tenure as district superintendent and he had been elected superintendent and he and I were having this conversation and I, and I just, um, I don't know if I really ought to tell you this, but I will since it's just us here and nobody will tell what I said anyway, right? Um, but anyway, but, but, but uh, Arkansas is made up of at least five different cultures. I know I get your attention then. You go up northwest Arkansas, don't tell them, but they think they're it. Because they got Bentonville and, and uh, J.B. Hunt and, Wal you know, the Walmart is the big deal and Tyson and all that kind of – and it's grown. It, I'm, I'm picking at them because I got a bunch of friends up there. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a big – it's world-renowned. And they are, they are the, the market of the world, if you will. And there are people coming in there all over the world because of how this for this this thing reaches out so big, and and so they have a culture, and and they're outgrowing their roadways, and they're having to constantly widen roads, and and all of this interchange going on up there. So they've got the big expansion of all of the marketing that's going on there. Then you move on over um, from from north west Arkansas, and you get to north central Arkansas. And you've got a group of folks that are known as hillbillies. I can talk about them because I came from there. 
And if you need if you need enlightenment on the hillbilly dictionary, you just come to me and I can enlighten you and help you get along in this world and some places that you you would you would struggle with otherwise. And then you come on over to northeast Arkansas and you've got uh, the you know these factories around here and you've got these things that then kind of feather on into east Arkansas uh, that has the um, you know the the delta and the the farming and. Uh, agriculture is a big deal, and then you move on down, and you get to kind of southwest, uh, southeast Arkansas, and you're approaching, you're getting, you're having a Louisiana influence, and you're, you, it's not too far from crawfish, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That, and and uh, then you get over to uh, southwest uh, Arkansas, and and you've got the Oklahoma influence, and you've got all of that kind of um, affecting all of that in the MENA area and different things like that. So. Uh, in, in the center of the states, you've got Little Rock and Benton and Cabot and all. You, you understand what I'm saying? So it, it, is, it is God's plan. It's God's way of doing things that he doesn't compromise his truth. But he allows us to operate within a culture that fits in northwest Arkansas and they will do things a little bit different than the guys down in southeast Arkansas will do. But they're still a part of the kingdom. But that doesn't mean that that guy that is planted, if you will, in southwest Arkansas or northwest Arkansas would feel the same and, and, and worship God in the same culture that he would in southeast Arkansas. Am I making any sense tonight? And so that's the reason why that we are on a quest to try to make sure where we are that that we're surrounding ourselves by people who not just love us and, and love the, the like precious faith, but there's also a lot of things in common that we just kind of fit better in certain places but due to personalities and interactivities and, and uh, certain things of that nature. So, you know, and, and you could take it beyond Arkansas, obviously, and you could get uh, up north, you know, they, um, what is it, they sing fast and talk slow? Is that the way it is? Or they talk fast and sing slow? Yeah, talk fast and sing slow. I knew it was one or the other. And then you, then you get down here, and we, uh, uh, we, we talk slow and uh, sing fast every once in a while. So We didn't deny it, but anyway, you don't always have to. We've learned that, so that's a good deal. But, but, but it's, uh, you, know, it, you can take an old boy that's been used to southern hospitality and worship and all those kinds of things, throw him into the northern church. They may be preaching Jesus' name, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and he's going to be. You know, it's it's because it's it's familiar, but he's kind of out of his culture, if you will, making sense. So, so Abraham, the reason I wanted to to bear bear down on this, there is within the church, though. It is highly important that we understand that the church is the mother of us all. And it matters who your mama is. The reason it matters who your mama is, you just check with Abraham. Abraham had Ishmael, but Sarah wasn't his mama. And God hadn't promised a thing to Hagar. And it goes on a little bit further than that. God promised God promised to multiply, and he promised his, his blessing upon the seed of Abraham and Sarah. But then after Sarah died, he goes and marries Keturah and has another group of boys by Keturah. But the reason it matters that we are belonging to this truth-preaching church, and we will not, we will not compromise that, is because that God only promises to the ones who belong to the proper mama. Now, I didn't, I didn't really come prepared to say all that I'm saying right now, except to tell you that when, when it came time for Abraham to die, the Bible says he called all of his sons together. That includes Keturah's sons. It includes Ishmael. He called all of his sons together, and the Bible said he gave them gifts. But he gave all that he had to Isaac. 
That's the reason I'm not alarmed whenever there are people that receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost outside of this truth-preaching church. Because there will be people who will have the gifts but not the goods. Now, what those, what those are in this, this New Testament church day are for. It is to draw people into the fellowship and have the proper mama and have the church nurturing them, have the church lifting them up, and have a place where that they are nurtured and grown into a good relationship with their God. And so the church is here, and we're not just products of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Because I've been around long enough to know now. I've pastored for 36 years plus, And I have seen a lot of people that receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that are not still with us. So that's a problem to me because I, I want them, everybody that receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, to have an environment in which that they are nurtured and they begin to grow and they take root in the kingdom and that they're still here. The reason that I'm talking like I'm talking about right now is, of course, uh, a pastor just got up and talked about some of the things that go on. You know, it, it bothers me that I can't preach tonight. I wish I could preach that whenever you come into the church and you pray through and you get baptized in Jesus' name, that we slip you what is called an exemption card. And when sickness comes to you, you can just pull that card out and say, not here, because I've been, I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and our folks don't get sick. I wish I could slip you an exemption card that whenever your son or daughter comes in and says, we got a problem, that you say, well, we don't have problems because we're apostolic. Doesn't happen here. But the sad thing is, is I don't have the exemption card, and the problem is this. You're going to have some of the same problems that the person sitting across the desk at work from you has. But the difference is, is being anchored in the truth. That is the only thing that's going to keep you in the storms. Matter of fact, let me, let me just put it to you like this. Whenever Simon Peter was in the boat with the rest of the, the disciples, they saw Jesus walking on the water. And when they saw him, they first of all, they were scared. Now, don't be alarmed if you're scared of the answer. Sometimes we've been fearful when the answer was coming. And they were scared for the very thing that was going to bring them the answer and the insight. Peter decided, and he said, I believe that's him, guys. And he said, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come to you on the water. And of course, the, the storm is going on and all that. And so Jesus said, come. He gets out of the boat, goes to Jesus while he's on his way. He begins to see what a predicament he's in. And fear gets a hold of him, and he starts to sink, right? And while he's sinking, he began to cry out, Lord, save me. While he's crying out for the Lord to save him, Jesus reached out and, and, and got a hold of him. Notice how this reads, though. Whenever Jesus and Peter walked back to the boat, they got in the boat, Jesus turned around and said, Peace be still. My thought is this. Wouldn't it have made more sense for Jesus to calm the water and then be able to walk back on smooth water? I mean, it's accomplishment enough to walk on water. But he didn't. He waited till they got back in the boat. Wonder what that was for. I think what it was for was Jesus wanted to show Simon Peter you can walk on water in the storm. I don't have to calm the water in order for you to walk on it. I'm going to let you walk in the middle of the storm on the water just to show you I can't. And then when we get in the boat, and you could probably survive the storm from here, now I'll call it off. Anybody here ever feel like he's done you that way before? Mary and Martha did. Matter of fact, me and the Lord had a discussion one time. I asked him, I said, why do you let things get so bad before you show up? 
I mean, Mary and Martha, they almost got offended. Well, no, they did get offended. Matter of fact, they were so close to Jesus that they felt the liberty. One of them did to just ignore him when he showed up. They just went ahead and stayed in the house. I'm not going out there to talk to him. Because they sent him word. Think about this. They sent him word in time. While there was still hope. He whom thou lovest. They even put that special note in there. Little subtle, but not really. Hey, we're pulling the card here on you. This is where you eat fried chicken. These are your friends. He whom thou lovest is really, 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 really sick. And that's the reason why you don't get offended when you come to church and don't, and, and you get a word that doesn't really seem like it's working out. Because he turned to the apostles whenever they said, Lazarus is sick. And he said this, ladies and gentlemen, the sickness is not unto death. I wonder how they felt whenever, whenever Lazarus died. If you turn your back on God too quick, you're going to have a story to tell that's not true. Because you didn't wait for the last paragraph to be written. And you're going to blame God for all kinds of things. But it wasn't God's problem. It was because you quit too early. Because he's, I felt something come through here just now. Because he's not just the author. He is the finisher. And don't you dare bail on him too quick. Because your story is not going to work out like you want it to unless you stay with him all the way. You got to let him finish your story. They could have bailed, Pastor, whenever somebody come running up and said, Lazarus is dead. And they said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. And he said, no, he's not dead. He's asleep. And they said, they said he's dead. He said, no, he's not dead. And they said, I'm telling you, he is dead. And finally, since he couldn't get them to where he was, he backed up to where they were. And said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Boy, have they had the bad impression of you. They thought you loved him. <laughs> they never would have sent you the note if you're just going to say he's dead and I'm glad. Let me tell you all something. Don't talk like Jesus if you ain't Jesus. Because you may have to back it up one of these days. So, so they... they, they uh, he said, uh, he's actually taking a nap. Let's go and wake him up. They said, he's dead. And finally, he just turned around. Now, can you imagine Jesus every once in a while in our midst? We're telling him what our situation is, and he's trying to tell us what he says it is, and we're trying to tell him, no, you got it wrong. You're just not paying attention. I told you. And so finally, since he can't get us in the faith dimension where he really is, he backs up to where we are. That's how bad he wants to bring us along, is that when we can't get to where he is, woo, he will come to where we are. And he said, you're not going to change the outcome simply because you're changing the narrative. The bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, Satan, the devil himself, wanted to make the headlines about Lazarus dying. But Jesus wanted to make the headlines about his resurrection. Don't let the enemy dictate the headlines of your life. They went down there. Mary and Martha's all upset about it. And they said, 
if you had been here, our brother would not have died. We sent you word while there was still hope. And Jesus said, he's going to live again. And they said, well, we know that. We've been at Sunday school. We heard about the resurrection. But you know that could be a while. And I like it when he says it like this. I am the resurrection. That I am connected him with the burning bush. Matter of fact, and I'm, 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 I'm trying, I'll try to get back here to where I'm supposed to be here in a while, but the powerful thing about it is, ladies and gentlemen, the I am is so powerful that whenever Jesus was being, was being arrested, do you remember that they came, they rushed him, and they got this big, big bunch of people, and he's kind of he's making a show out of them, and he says, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said, when, when, when they said Jesus of Nazareth, his response was, I am he. But if you'll look real closely in that, actually in, in, in KJV, it has a italicized word there for he, which means he was provided by the translators. So in the original text, the word he was not there. So what knocked them to the ground wasn't some lightning bolt. It was the realization, it was the power of the God of the burning bush identifying himself as Jesus Christ. Whom seek ye, Jesus of Nazareth? I am. So I am the resurrection. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the light of the world. He is the I am of all of those things. And whenever he told, whenever he told Mary and Martha, he said, look, I'm, I am the resurrection. I, I just, I'm, I'm hung up on a little something here. And whenever they came to him then and they began to tell him, they said, look, it's been four days. Behold, he stinketh. It's past time. I told you that I asked the Lord one time, why do you wait so long before you show up? And he says, because if I show up too early, you'll give somebody else or something else the glory. He said, I have to wait till everybody agrees. There's nothing anybody can do now but God. I just wonder what would happen if we'd start going ahead and praising him a little early. I wonder if we'd start giving him glory before it ever, it ever gets out of hand and and if we just go ahead and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, you're going to do this, and I'm going to go ahead and praise you for it right now, I believe it might trigger something to happen in the spirit that he would go ahead and respond to us. But here's one more thing I want to I say about this story before I move on here. But when he looked at them, this, is, this has always amused me since I've seen it in such clarity. I've got a question for you, okay? Why? Does God ask questions? It's certainly not because he needs information. So he asked this question. Where have you laid him? Do you think he didn't know? So it was not because he needed information. It was to get them to admit where they laid it down. This is where we came as far as we could go. Now that you define that, he says, okay, let's go there. Because when you are at the end of you, that's when I take over. Where have you laid him? I mean, it started way back early in the book of Genesis. Adam, where art thou? Think he didn't know where Adam was? Oh, he knew exactly where Adam was. But the answer from Adam was making Adam admit where Adam was. Why do you think God asked Jacob his name? 
You think he didn't know Jacob's name? He knew who he was wrestling with. But watch this. He said, what is thy name? He said, I'm Jacob. Now, this is not written in your Bible. So we're going to call this the book of Genesis. So I read in the book of Genesis, this is what this means. When he said, Jacob, when he said, what's your name? And he said, I am Jacob. Down underneath his breath, he said, good, because the last time your daddy asked you who you was, you lied to him. He said, now you're honest enough to admit who you are. Now we know where you are. You're a lying deceiver, and I can help you. Because I'm going to change your name now that you will admit who you are. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the reason that repentance is plugged right into the DNA of the church is because it makes us, you don't have to get it together to come to church. You just come to church, admit who you are. I'm Jacob. Because you're in the presence of God that all he needs you to be is honest. And he's not asking you those questions because he needs the answer. He is asking you the questions so that you'll admit what you need. And then he can take over from there. That's where you are. Do we think we can hide from God? Our heart, our motives, the things inside of us. I told our church, I know your, your pastor's nice, but I told our church, I said, it is obvious we do not believe in an omnipresent God. Because you wouldn't have to hide the magazines when somebody else was coming to see you. Or you wouldn't have to change the channel on your truck when the pastor got in. It's getting quiet in here just like it did in there. I thought y'all would just be shouting and running the aisle saying, yeah, that's it, preach it to them guys over in Hot Springs. Matter of fact, you wouldn't even have to hang up with, on the phone if certain people walked up. See, I'm getting over here so we can't pull my coat now. So it's hard for us to comprehend an omnipresent God, which means he's with me all the time. Now, what's even worse than that is he's in my head all the time. He knows what I'm thinking. He's keeping up with me so much that he's literally counting all the hair on my head every day, subtracting what falls out. Hallelujah. But here's the thing, folks. We have got the answer in the church. Abraham was a man that he, he dug wells. The wells represent the church. There's so much. The Bible uses literal things in the earth to give us spiritual understanding of spiritual things, things that are unseen. So he gives us the things that are seen for us to illustrate, understand the illustration of the things that are not seen. Okay? So the church has another template and another understanding. It is that well that springs up. Abraham dug wells so that he would have water, living water, not the cisterns, but good wells that were, that were live wells that had water. Whenever he called his eldest servant in and he sent him to go and find a bride for Isaac because, remember, he was the son of promise, so he, they, they need to make sure and get this right. The eldest son begins to make his trek across uh, the desert, and he has heard Abraham pray, and he knows that there's something a whole lot more involved in this than just taking a trip out here and finding the prettiest girl or the first available or whatever. But he is trying at this particular point in time to execute this responsibility to please the father, Abraham. And so when he, when he begins to go, the Bible, I just read to you all ago that he, he's, he's bringing gifts and all these things, and he gets outside the city. He has prayed this prayer, and he felt led. You know, sometimes I've been praying, and I, I recommend this to you. Prayer's not really that complicated. The reason some people don't pray is because it's so complicated to them. 
if you can hold a conversation with anybody in private, you can pray. I mean, you even have to get up in an auditorium and articulate some great prayer. I just mean if you can sit down and talk to somebody. And the funny thing is, God's so talented, He understands all different languages, too. He's really, He's cool. Not only that, He can hear 7 billion people at a time talking. I mean, this, He's powerful. So this guy's praying. You ever notice that sometimes when you're praying, God just kind of takes over and begins to lead you down a thought train that you didn't have when you started praying? Well, don't resist that. That's God leading you in the impression of His Spirit, of conversation, if you will. Because when Paul said this, and I don't want to get way out here, but when, when Paul said this, he said, uh, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, he's talking, you know, basically about himself. But he said, I heard, I heard unspeakable words. Unspeakable words. Does that just mean that it was something so out there that he couldn't tell anybody? Well, that's one way of looking at it. But I like to think that um, God doesn't speak to us usually in an audible voice. but he speaks to us in unspeakable words. Matter of fact, I just, you have to bear with me now. I'm a little out there. But I just got to thinking about this. Heaven is 1,500 miles square. What kind of PA system do you think it would take to announce a meeting in heaven? It's not going to happen besides what language would they pick? Hebrew? Well, we better get to Hebrew class tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? I'll tell you what's going to happen. God has spoken to me paragraphs. He has spoken to me pages in one impulse. That's how powerful what I'm preaching to you right now is. It's not contained in just the words. That's the reason that his word will not return void is because you might not even remember the words, but you have a direction that's in your spirit that has been planted there, and the seed of the word is there in unspeakable words. It's not something that you're going to have to remember now. What did he say exactly? You don't know, and, and that's the reason why we look at people sometimes and we can't explain the experiences that we had. Well, I don't know how to explain it. You just had to been there. Well, because it was unspeakable words. And so you can start praying sometimes, and while you're praying, it leads you down a, 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 a trail of inspiration. So this servant starts praying, and God begins to lead him down a trail of inspiration, and he begins to think about this, and he says, well, now, you know what, that's interesting. God just kind of brought to his mind that my, my, my master, has he, he digs wells. And Isaac, he's got a propensity to love wells as well. And he said, you know what? He said, Lord, I tell you what, let's kind of work this thing out then. You're leading me down this thought process. He said, how about, wouldn't it just kind of seem natural that the woman that would be the best wife for Isaac would be a woman that has a passion for the well? You're talking about compatibility. Yeah, this is better than Match.com. But here's what I want to impress upon this congregation tonight. The Bible says this. The Bible says that the servant took the ten camels, the camels of his master, and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. He arose and went to Mesopotamia and unto the city of Nahor, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. Here's the powerful thing. I believe that there are a lot of distractions that go on in our world trying to tell you that the answer's here or it's over there or it's you're going to have to go after this answer. Let me tell you what I believe God sent me here to tell you. All you have to do is stay at the well. 
Because God's going to draw your answer to you. And I'm going to take it a little bit further. This is how strong I feel what I've what got to say to you tonight before I wrap this up. So many people have stayed with the truth for a good season and just about the time that their answer was going to arrive, somebody persuaded them that it was somewhere else. Thus, they missed their answer because when the answer showed up, they were not there. This world is screaming at you that there are all kinds of answers to our dilemmas. And they're pushing all kinds of agendas at us. And they're trying to get us to forsake the truth. They're trying to get us to forsake the church. Let me tell you, you are at the well. What you need to do is tell your camel to kneel down. Because we have stopped our journey right here. And we're going to stay at the well and wait for the answer to come to us. Didn't Jesus say, if you hear that I'm performing some miracle right over here, he said, don't jump up and follow over there because when you get over there, they'll be past that fad. They'll be past all of that big uh, hubbub and explosion that they had going over there. They'll, they'll, they'll run out of musicians. They'll, they'll run out of, uh, you know, cooperation. Unity will fall apart. And, you know, and, but about the time you got there, you know, okay, well, it's not there. Now it's, it's, it's moved to New York. And then you'll go from Florida to New York to Texas to, and we're, we find these people who are, you know, they're, they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the, you know, let me tell you where God finds people. God finds people to do what he wants to do in their, in their um, spirit and, and in his kingdom. Let me, let me talk to you here just a minute about Philip. Philip got in the church and stayed in the church long before it was ever time for him to do what he ultimately ended up doing. When you read about Philip, it's interesting. When you get over to Acts chapter probably 24, I believe it is, something like that, you find that Paul has come through and he is he's passing through. And the Bible says he turned into Philip the evangelist's house that has four daughters that prophesy, I believe it is. And he says Philip the evangelist's house. And then it also has this little phrase in there that many people would think insignificant, but I think it's really significant. It says, one of the seven. Now, we like to preach about Philip chasing down an Ethiopian eunuch and preaching to him the Word of God and baptizing him in a pool of water in the desert. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. Not only if that doesn't get your motor running, it ought to, you'll just go ahead and keep on reading then. The Bible says that after that happened, they came up out of the water and the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away and the eunuch was standing there talking to him and Philip was caught up by the Spirit and dropped off at Azotus and I guess he, he landed on his feet preaching because he's preaching the message over there. Now that's some powerful preaching. We like to preach about Philip the evangelist. But let me tell you what Philip did. Philip found this truth and had his camel to kneel down. Long before he was ever the miraculous preacher and known as a renowned evangelist, he served the kingdom by saying, if I ever get an answer, it's going to be right here. And he learned to set up tables and chairs to feed a family that had lost a loved one after a funeral. He learned to drive the church bus long before he ever preached a sermon. So just let me tell you, if you ever want to be mightily used of God, it's not going to be in your pursuit of the ministry. It's going to be at having your camel to kneel down because you're going to stay right there until your answer comes. Stay at the well. And guess what happened? Absolutely the right one came. 
You know the reason that what I'm preaching right now sometimes isn't really, I mean, it, it'd be all right, and, you know, well, that's, that's, that's nice, Reverend. But the reason we really don't appreciate it as much as we should is because there's a word that drives us batty, and it's called patience. We have a little granddaughter back home. Kenley is her name. And I'll never forget the day that her, her, her nanny was telling her something, and, and she, I heard her blurt out these words, but I don't want to be patient. I thought, man, that'll preach. All you got to do is let Kenley get up and say in the microphone, but I don't want to be patient. And it reads our mail. It tells us exactly what's going on. We don't want to be patient because there are too many Wednesday nights when we're sitting here going, hmm, we're not bouncing off the wall. We're not running the aisles. We're not running the back of the seats. It's way too calm you know why because we sat down at the well and we're going to be there when the answer gets there because we found the truth and there's no sense in me going somewhere and trying to find some elaborate combination and some elaborate formula it's not going to change the thing what is going to happen is i prayed to god and me and god's got this deal to where i'm going to sit down at the well and whenever the whenever the girl comes that you i'm going to ask her for a drink and she said yeah I'll give you a drink. She said, then she's going to say, I'll not only give you a drink, I'm going to water your camels also. Oh, now you, so you're fulfilling all that. Your answer came because you stayed at the well. Oh, would you like one more real good illustration before we wrap this up tonight? Thank you. I was wanting, I was hoping you would. Everybody say, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. And he told his disciples, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. And they said, what kind of business have you got there? And he said, I just must needs go through. He said, you could learn something if you'll watch this. He didn't go pursue the woman. He just went to the well. And I can almost see him as he just sat down on the corner of that well, kind of blocked all up with old rocks. The old bucket sitting there. He just sat there and waited for a while. Because he showed us, you don't, it's not going to do you any good to get out of breath chasing what you want God to do. He showed them that if you will just be faithful, the will of God will come to you if you'll stay at the well. Does it make any sense? All this stuff that I've been kind of working around here tonight, I hope it's making some sense now that the church is the answer. The church is the place. You stay in the church there have been so many people that have become disillusioned and weary. Does the scripture not scream at us tonight? Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. You found it? Stay at the well. And God brings to you the answer. And God's going to come through for you. And when he comes through, the blessing is going to be that you hung around at the well while it was coming. Simeon said, I'm going to hang around close to the church because of the Messiah coming out of his day. I found the truth. I'm going to hang on. And he was there. Here comes Mary and Joseph. He got to hold that baby on that day, that glorious day, and looked up into the heavens and said, Mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. How'd he do that? It wasn't out there wandering around trying to find and trying to preempt and expedite and make it happen before it was time to happen. But in the patience, do 
season. Times change. Life's in cycles. But the beautiful thing about it is, if you'll stay in the church, God has an answer for the children that are hurting. He has an answer for the adolescents that's lost their way. He has an answer for a mom and dad that's just trying to keep it together. He has an answer for the middle aged that's struggling with midlife crisis. He's got an answer for the elder that's just retiring and trying to figure out what to do. I promise you the church is where it's all found at. Matter of fact, this may be out there a little bit too, but um, I remember reading in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that the tree of life bears fruit in every month. But the Bible says, the Bible says that the river flowed down through and the tree stood basically its branches were on either side of the river so we know that we'll have everything when we get to heaven but i am here tonight to tell you that god also provides us fruit for every season of our life on this side of the river too The answer is, stay at the well. Show up on Sunday. Show up on Wednesday. Make church your life. Build your life around the church. Stay at the well. There are too many things that are hollering for your attention and trying to distract you and pull you one direction or another. Let me, let me impress upon you tonight. The church is is the answer upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so we're here we found that why don't you stand with me just a moment why don't you just lift your hands with me let's magnify the lord and tell him how grateful we are that he's given us a church thankful that the water's flowing we're here at the well. Hallelujah. Feels good in here tonight. Go ahead. Drink that down. Go ahead. It's all right. Get you a good drink. Just wait. <laughs> Come on. It's refreshing in here right now. It's refreshing in here right now. It's refreshing in here right now. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be angry at God. I might not understand what he's doing all the time. I might not understand the pastor all the time. I might not understand my brothers and sisters all the time. I may be weary from the journey. I may have hot sweat drip, dripping down into my eyeballs and burning me. And, and I might be discomfort from, from, from all that long journey. But I promise you the answer is not me pursuing and trying to make it happen. The answer comes whenever I came here to sit down and say this is my place. I'm going to stay at the well. Let's give the Lord some praise. Can we do that? Would you just do that for a moment? Just go ahead and do it with your voice, too.